bum bum bottom 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 b
as l- with with the pullover sh- or with the button shirt open, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm I've been I, I've I have like a few geeky tiki uh, shirts. I've I just got a new They're Star Wars cute. one and a new Scooby Doo one. So I'll be wearing those on top. So the t-shirt underneath has to be like. Um, uh, the not, party has to be a stripe right down the front. Yes, not horizontal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I got to put away like some of my horizontal shirts. They're just not going to work this year. But like that vertical man thing shirt that Chango designed, mm-hmm. that's going to look great on my chest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sounded wrong, really but also accurate. Yeah, yeah, no. And um, there are pictures on the internet with you with Chango's thing on your chest. So. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, salacious content. Lisa. <laughs> See, we nothing salacious happens off mic. We save it for y'all. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Tyler Crook, when he is inevitably listening to our introduction to his interview, will appreciate all all of that. If I did a super rad comic book couples counseling interview, I just 15 second skip <laughs> through our um rambling just to get to the goods. Yeah, absolutely. And we have some goods this week. Tyler Crook, one of our all-time favorite artists. The first place I think we ever encountered his work was through BPRD. Mm -hmm. But since then, we've become huge fans of Harrow County. And he has a new comic book out from Dark Horse Comics called The Lonesome Hunters. The first issue is out right now. We've read the first three issues And it is truly special. It's a story about friendship and finding a kinship when there is profound loss. Yeah, yeah. And and it focuses on two protagonists. One is Howard. The first page, when you open it up, it says, A hundred years ago, when Howard was a young man, he was given a magic sword. And, like, do you need to know any more after that introduction? I feel like I would need more, because I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> uh, well, is it a knight sword? Is he getting on a steed? Because then I'm not interested. I hear you, Lisa, but, you know, it's clearly catnip for Brad. Mm-hmm. One, I love an old man who is filled with regret. And two, I love giant swords. <laughs> which we've already established. <laughs> Stupid. But I hear you, Lisa, you need a little bit more. So why don't you give what that other more is? What's the hook for you that drags you in? For me, it's that it's an odd couple narrative because partnered with Howard is Lupe, who is probably about 12 to 14 years old. Yeah, preteen, early teen. And she um, has lost both of her parents and she's living in a tenuous situation with her uncle and mystical, occult-related happenings bring them together and they just, from right off the bat, they find this profound respect for each other Mm -hmm. and they really do see themselves as peers and collaborators against the forces of darkness. I think the first issue does such an exceptional job slowly easing you into the headspaces of both characters, following Howard as he is buying groceries before any of the magical stuff happens we totally understand where he is in his emotional journey, and he's at a very low place. The comic is called The Lonesome Hunters. These two individuals are so isolated from the rest of the world, and they desperately need each other, and then magical shenanigans, evil magpies. And of course, the art is gorgeous. It's 
his signature watercolors and inks, I think, taken to the next level. It is atmospheric. It is so expressive. You'll hear in this interview that he has been sitting on this story and and stewing on this story for a very long time. And when you open this first issue, it feels like an, a lived-in idea. Absolutely. And Tyler Crook, in this conversation, is so generous and honest with what was going on inside his head to bring the Lonesome Hunters out. And I do think it's worth noting, like, it's a rare flower comic, right? He is writing it. He is illustrating it. He is coloring it. He is lettering it. There are not too many comic books on the stands right now where that is the case. And I think if you are a fan of comics, you have to take notice when that happens. I think everybody should be picking up a copy of The Lonesome Hunters, number one. And since we've read issues two and three, we can tell you that it only gets better from this first issue. Tyler was really good about not giving me the spoilers and not letting me say the spoilers. Um, I felt lightly policed. (laughs) Um, But I love this story already so much. Yeah, yeah. Lisa really dislikes talking about a comic when we can only... I've only only read the first... Like, I'm only allowed to talk about the first issue. Like, a no-spoiler conversation... Um, it's a little bit of a sad trombone for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I think we did a really good job uh, surfing those waters. There's like one moment where I'll probably have to edit Mm -hmm. something out to keep those details uh, away. But we've also already talked with Tyler about coming back on the show when the first four issues are completed and collected and having a deep dive, spoiler-filled conversation. But what you're going to hear right now is like a tease to what that episode will be. That being said, like it's such an honest chat and he is so open about what he was going through to bring this book about. I found this conversation to be incredibly moving and it goes into places that I was not expecting discussing the state of the industry and what it's like to be an illustrator in a writer-dominated medium. And we talk about that a little bit too. Like, I I, I don't want to spoil too much more about what you're about to hear, but we're really excited about it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Tyler, welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Thank you for joining us in the Love Nest. Hey, I'm super glad to be here. Not as glad as we are. We won't let you have that gladness. That <laughs> I, don't gladness. Know. I don't think you're as glad as I am. It's on. The gladness <laughs> battle begins. Tyler, you know, we've read the first three issues of The Lonesome Hunters, but we're all, we're not going to be spoiling anything beyond the first issue, hopefully. Uh, but it is a comic that really, it really speaks to Brad. Uh, I am a sucker for... Old man stories, especially old men who are defeated and filled with regret. Uh, Howard certainly fills that uh, quota for me. But I'm wondering what exactly is the itch that you're scratching with the Lonesome Hunters? Oh, geez. It's scratching a lot of different itches for me because it's like scratching story itches and like career itches at the same time. Mm. So, but I think story wise, 
man, it's like almost <laughs> everything that I'm stressed about is like basically working its way into this comic pretty, mm. pretty, um, you know, across the board. So it's hard to really nail on, nail down one specific thing. Um, I think really like a lot of it is um, just the, you know, the, the terrible times we're living through in America right now. And like the uh, just sort of that need for um, to have that human connection and to get the people that you love and make sure that they're safe and, and protected and that the people you love are taking care of you. Like that's sort of been very heavily on my mind over the last couple of years. And I think that that is probably a huge part of, um, where I'm coming from with, with the Lonesome Hunters. And the idea of finding human connectivity through art, but using two characters who seem so alone at the point of origin, or at least the start of this comic book, uh, Lupe and Howard are extremely isolated. And I'm imagining that isolation is something that you have experienced, that we've all experienced quite a lot. <laughs> in the last few years, if not way longer than that. Cause they're two characters that are just like, they're completely stuck. You know, they're in the, in some place where they don't want to be and they just don't know how to get out of it. And, um, and I have definitely been in that spot multiple times in my life, you know, career wise and personal personally, and um, with all sorts of stuff where it's just like, you know, you just don't know how to get out. And that's, I think that's what um, really got me, initially thinking about having these two characters is like, I think every time that I've been stuck like that, the way I've been able to get out of it is by someone I know being like, Hey, let's try something. You know, mm -hmm. it hardly ever is me being like, Oh, I know what I should try, you know, <laughs> with, with a few exceptions. And I think most like for me, the stories that I always like the most are the stories that are about multiple people, like re like reacting to each other. And having that that be the actual core of the story, sort of regardless of what happens, um, the important thing is what these two people um, bring to each other to sort of get through the the whatever your plot is. You know what I mean? What I find so um, endearing about the relationship between Howard and Lupe is that even though their stories are so different they recognize i feel a similar wanting that similar like like untethered sense of belonging in each other and they kind of name it one of the things i feel like they have in common is that sense of isolation within the context of like faith so we have two like fairly mirroring scenes the first scene where howard is wielding the sword for the first time with his father a hundred years ago. a hundred years ago mm -hmm. and his father is telling him like this is the right thing to do these are the others this is your job and purpose and howard just looks like scared and confused and then we have lupe in the bedroom at the foster home where there is all of the this signage of like faith where worry ends where faith begins and that kind of thing and i have felt that similar thing of like lonesomeness within a faith like is that something that that you relate to um yeah you know we were um i was raised mormon until uh well we stopped going to church when i was a tween basically mm. but i sort of considered myself mormon until uh, you know, sometime in my teens. And like my experience with religion was always sort of 
um, not really questioning, just sort of like going with the flow. And then there was a moment as a teenager where I suddenly essentially just lost my faith. And then um, there is a like a profound sense of loneliness associated with that. And I know my parents went through something very similar, but much earlier than I did, because, you know, they were the ones who obviously made the choice for us to stop going to church and stuff. And, you know, and I think that was uh, that's something that I've seen in them a lot, you know, and I've seen it through a lot of a lot of people who have basically lost their religious faith, whether they, you know, they really sort of long for um, the the church that they thought that they they had at one point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so there's definitely a sense of of that. There's also like, um, you know, I my my little <laughs> we're going to get I'm going to get a little bit heavy with this. Sorry about this, everybody. And this okay. is, you know, what we do here. But I, like I lost my my little sister died a couple years ago. And um, I'm so sorry. Oh, thanks. But she had she she basically woke up one day and was feeling funny. And like a half hour later, she couldn't speak anymore. And then by the time she got to the hospital, she was almost dead. Like she basically just had a brain aneurysm Mm -hmm. mostly out of nowhere and, um, and just died. Like when you, when you feel a loss like that, there's something that is just really like when people try to tell you like, Oh, she's gone to heaven or whatever, that that is like Mm -hmm. always just feels so, (laughs) well, it feels lonely to me. Like it feels Mm -hmm. like it's like, cause it feels a, it feels false, but it just feels like there's a, um, like that falseness is sort of it's you know it's like when you're like if you have a stomach ache and someone like pats you on the hand and goes there 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 as if that's supposed to like fix your stomach ache you know and it just makes you feel like nobody understands what you're going through because they keep telling you this thing that doesn't make any sense and doesn't actually address the issue you know if that if that i don't know if i'm kind of rambling but no it makes total sense It, it actually relates to something that uh, happened between Lisa and I uh, a week ago, given uh, all the horrible stuff that's been happening in, in America. I tend to reach for optimism, and I was trying to deliver some of those kind of shallow, uh, hollow words of like, don't worry, it's all going to work out. We're all going to band together. And Lisa's like, Shut the hell up. Like, I'm not here for you to dismiss my anger with some two dimensional language. I think it's like yeah. that feeling of having like a one size fixed all solution for every problem, like, like some kind of platitude will resolve like your your emotions for your sister or resolve my disillusionment in humanity yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and there's there's not it's like every single person has to like interface with the world in their own way i think that stories do that for us they give us something that serves the function so we could therefore like like experience an emotion yeah for sure i think like one of one of the well probably the greatest value of stories in general is just that make you not feel alone like making mm-hmm. a you know giving you a world where there's characters that you feel like um would like they would understand you as much as you might understand them so going back to those itches that you're scratching with the lonesome hunters and using this kind of um uh monster 
pagan invasion dressing onto the exploration of isolation. Uh, why, why drape this particular frame on this itch? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I think, you know, well, I think that horror, horror and magical realism, both like sort of are wonderful, um, genres in which to sort of explore, uh, human emotions in a way that you can't in other, um, or you can't as easily in other, um, genres, um, because you have like, especially when you have some magical realism elements, there is like, uh, you know, there's a lot more metaphor that you can use. Um, hmm. And you can be a little bit more ham fisted with it even and have it still read very well um, than you can if you were, say, doing like a romance or just a straight drama kind of a story. Um, yeah. And Lisa and I have always discussed like the the benefits of uh, horror and fantasy and science fiction is that by uh, embracing the extreme, it has a more authentic emotional truthness to it. Like it's it, more evocative. It's it's more evocative and more honest in a lot of ways. Because like when you're going through something nightmarish, it it is a horror film. Yeah, yeah. You know that's. Um, I wish I could figure out where I had read this. I think it was somebody tweeted it on Twitter and they said that the, um, the function of horror stories was to sort of model um, surviving mm. um, through, through trauma. And I've always thought that that was like right on the money for a lot of that. Yeah. Cause like the person makes it through the night in the haunted house and they, you know, they, yeah. against impossible odds, they somehow managed to come through. And sometimes it doesn't feel like you can do that. You know, so having stories that sort of show you how somebody did that, even if it's against something silly and made up, like that is definitely helpful, I think. To me, The Lonesome Hunters is a story about belonging and bonding through collaboration and, and having a, a common purpose. And then this is the story you're like, and I'm doing this entirely on my own. I'm doing the colors <laughs> and I'm doing the letters. Like what about this particular like story um, cliff or where you're like, I gotta, I gotta climb this on my own. Um, well, I was hoping to start writing my own stuff. Um, when I first got into comics, I guess like that was sort of the, the goal. And, um, I kept getting um, gigs where I was working with great writers and it was really hard to say no to that. And, so, <laughs> and then, you know, it was 2018, 2019, somewhere in there. I just sort of decided that I needed to stop put, putting it off, you know, and I guess it was probably largely related to um, my sister dying because I was like, Oh, I have all these things that I want to do. And it turns out you can just die for no reason. You know, like I have a limited time on earth and I have these things that I want to try and, um, and I'm going to try it. And in fact, I think that's probably why, like I've, the Lonesome Hunters is like something that I felt was a very personal story, like felt very, it's something that I feel very emotionally connected to and feels like, um, cause you know, I've had, you know, I have tons of story. I have notebooks full of story ideas and some of them are very silly and some of them are very like, um, you know, plot oriented. And, um, but this story in particular felt very much like, um, like if I, if I only had the chance to make one story, this will be the one that I 
want to try to get off my off my chest right away. There aren't too many creators out there doing the whole comic, you know, and I know mm. you have editors and designers on the comic, but you know, art, story, lettering, coloring, this is a Tyler Crook joint and there aren't many people doing that right now. So like when I get something like this, it really does feel like something truly special. And I, I guess the question in there is like, does it feel as extraordinary to you that you're able to put like your entire being into this one story and hopefully many more stories? Um, You know, it. I don't ugh. You know, it kind of feels like it definitely feels special. Um, I I really try to put a lot of myself into every story I do. Sure. Um, so it doesn't feel unique. I mean, if if anything, the sort of the um, the feeling that manifests itself from being the sole person on this is basically stress. I think. Mm. Like <laughs> I don't I don't think I've ever been more like stressed out than in the last at least like career wise in. You know, the two weeks leading up to the release of this first issue, I was just like, I've put my whole heart and soul into this book. It's only me. If nobody likes it, then it means nobody likes me. Mm. You know, <laughs> like, but yeah. when I, you know, when I work with another with a writer, I can always be like, eh, the writer didn't quite do the thing or like, you know, there's like there's always like a little bit of like mental um, cushioning that I can prepare for myself, you know, mm. Um, but yeah, when it's all you, it is, uh, it is a, it's, it's a lot of responsibility. It feels like. Well, sure. And you know, creating the thing is one thing and then selling the thing is another and promoting the thing is another coming onto podcasts and whatnot, talking about mm -hmm, this thing mm -hmm. that is so intimate to you, but having to like, you know, beat the grass and make sure you can get as many, uh, snakes on the comic as possible. Is that how the phrase goes? Many <laughs> yeah, eyes. exactly. It's an industry term. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so the the stress is absolutely understandable. Um, but is it something that uh, you enjoy putting yourself through and are excited to do on the next round? Or does it feel like, you know, we're only one issue out of Lonesome Hunters, but like when Lonesome Hunters comes out, it's a trade collection. Are you ready to do this whole process all over again? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Like, you know, like I don't think, um, I mean, I think as a comic book creator, one of my favorite things to do is complain, but <laughs> the, uh, it, you know, it's so fulfilling, like doing, I mean, just the fact that I've have like finished issues and turned them in is like, it's impossible. No one can do that. Mm. <laughs> you know, And, mm -hmm. and that, but there they are. I don't know how it happened. And that, like that, that sort of stuff is very, um, I don't know, it's just fulfilling. It feels good. Yeah. I mean, and then the idea that like, okay, Tyler has finished issue three, right? Like, you know, it doesn't have to go to anywhere else. Like Tyler has finished it. Like it doesn't go to a letter. It doesn't go yeah. to a colorist. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of incredible that it can, it just comes from your desk to the stands basically. Yeah. And it's, and I'm, you know, to make it even worse is I'm doing the watercolor yeah. um, techniques. And so that's all like, it's like my hand is on every single, you know, it's visible in every single mark and every single word choice and everything. There's a line that sticks out to me. I'm not going to quote it verbatim because I didn't write it down verbatim, but like Lupe saying like, 
There are all of the little thoughtless decisions we make. In her case, she's saying like that kind of exploded my life. I made a thoughtless decision and now my entire future is different. Um, But like to me, I go like, well, even our big decisions, like you doing your own, your own comic where you touch every single panel is the culmination of a bunch of decisions you've made. Do you feel like if you were to trace the decisions toward what has made this comic book take place, do you, do you feel those tiny decisions that pushed you towards making comics? Oh yeah. You know, like it's um, like, well, like, like for, for example, like my watercolor technique, that came because um, I got a job. Uh, it was a work for hire gig doing a book called uh, uh, Bad Blood, and they wanted me to color it also. And I didn't want to sit in front of a computer, so I mm. was like, "Oh, I'll just can I do this watercolor thing?" And they're like, "Sure, we don't care, do it." And um, well, it was, they weren't quite like that, but <laughs> <laughs> but they you know they decided it was okay, and. Um, and that was like, in my mind, when I made that choice, that was just like for this project, one and done, then I will never color another thing again. But then the next thing I did, they were like, um, you know, we want you to do the watercolor thing. <laughs> and I'm like, am I the watercolor guy now? Like, like I didn't know, I didn't know going in that that was going to be me now, you know, but I love it. You know, it's, it's worked out very nice for me, but it was sort of one of those things where it was like, yeah, I hadn't necessarily made that calculation that that was going to be where I wanted to take my artwork um, going forward. But um, yeah, I'm grateful it did. And I think Mm. that that's like, yeah, I don't know. Like when you're trying to navigate a career like comics, it's always about, um, you know, so much of it is just about meeting people too. So there's so many, like, just like the time you're sitting at the bar at the convention and you turn to someone and you're like, Hey, how's it going? And you know, five years later, it turns into work for you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, those sorts of small decisions that get made all the way, all along the way are kind of extraordinary. On the watercolor front, though, I saw you tweeting a little while ago about contemplating sticking with acrylics to oh, color. Yeah, well, acrylic ink, specifically. Yeah, yeah acrylic ink, yeah. Because I can, I can actually get that to look a lot like um, watercolor. But it's really hard to work with it as far as like mixing colors and like having keeping it on your palette and stuff, because when it dries, it's like it's done. But watercolor, you can always like when it dries on your palette, you, you know, you just wet your brush and wiggle it in there and it and it comes back to life, um, which is great for like mixing colors and managing colors. But when you um, actually put it on the page, it can s- kind of suck because then the you know, when you put more paint on top of watercolor paint, it just reactivates the paint underneath it. So when you do it with with ink, you can sort of like layer and layer and layer and build things up and get very subtle color changes that you couldn't necessarily get with watercolor. But I don't know. I'm working with like a like a combo between the two where I sort of bounce back and forth. I kind of start with acrylic ink and then I do a lot of watercolor and then I finish it with acrylic ink. And that's been working really well and serving me very well. And what I find so interesting about the whole process is how it seemingly stems from this idea of, well, I don't want to look at a computer screen. I want to keep it a tactile experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a part of it. It's like, um, there's just something, there's something about looking at a computer screen that just makes me so tired by the end of the day. Um, you know, I can, 
do like eight hours in front of the computer, but I could do 16 hours in front of, you know, a piece of paper and, and come away at the end of the day feeling about the same. Yeah. Well, and also it's nice to have original artwork to sell. That's a huge, <laughs> that's a huge benefit. Well, as you know, comic readers, comic collectors, uh, I, I think that comic folk tend to be, and maybe this is a generational thing, but I, I think they tend to place a lot of value on the object. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, we were actually talking about this just a little while ago. Um, but you know, the comic itself is a totem. The art is a totem. The tools are totems. Yeah. You know, I, it's something I really wish, especially like in the trade paperbacks, I really wish we could spend a lot more, like do a lot more wild stuff with the book designs. Mm. But um, everyone sort of wants that standardized size and, you know, and binding and stuff. But yeah, you know, I miss the days like in the 90s when everyone was doing like foil covers and stuff. I I honestly think we should bring that back. Maybe not do them, do variants covers like that, but just do like the, you know, the A cover is make it embossed. Like, go nuts, man. Let's make these books beautiful. Yeah. Well, well, we have to like make them worth having in the long box or having on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and I get, I get probably my designer, Patrick, like, I'm probably making him a little bit miserable because it's just like, I always want like, one of the first conversations I have with anytime I work with a designer is I'm just like, is there something you wanted to do that no one will ever let you do? Cause let's talk about doing that thing. Cause, mm-hmm. um, but they always, everyone is always just like, eh, no, whatever you want, Tyler. Like, <laughs> no, let's go nuts. Let's make it something, something weird. Well, so let's talk about that from your perspective though, this idea that, you know, okay, I'm starting out on the lonesome hunters. I want to do something I've never done before. It feels like, you know, as a fan of your work that you are doing that. And this is going to be a four issue series, which seems like impossibly short to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the world you've created. With the world you've created. Absolutely. Are the ideas that you're looking at next that you're percolating on, are they related to what you're exploring in the Lonesome Hunt, uh, Hunters, whether that is narratively, character wise or just emotionally? Well, what I'm what I'm really hoping for is that this first story arc will go will sell well enough that I can sort of get approval for you know another um, like it's it seems like most of the people I've talked to have only want to do mini series, mm-hmm. so I'm hoping I can do the Lonesome Hunters as a series of mini series, and because um, mm. I definitely have a, a much larger story in mind, because um, you know in the first four issues we aren't going to be able to you know learn every mystery about the sword or um, yeah. everything about, you know, Howard's childhood and Lupe's childhood. Like we just can't get into all of that in the four issues. So I'm hoping that there'll be time to actually um, explore that. And, and yeah, I have like big plans, but you know, it all sort of boils down to if we can get these first four issues to sell well enough to, to keep it going. Yeah. What do you, what do you see the four issues accomplishing? Like, is it I, you know, just a hook or yeah, I guess in some ways it's the hook. It's like, um, it's the introdu- It's basically the story of how Howard and Lupe met. Like that's mm-hmm. the, that's what this main first story arc is is all about. It's like how they met and like sort of why they, um, why they ended up being, where they end up being. You know, <laughs> <laughs> without spoiling everything. I love the the contrast of of the magpies, the idea of like um, 
Howard and Lupe are looking for belonging with people while the, the magpies are all about like objects and how it's, it's the desire to be with objects that is creating this chaos. That's, that's, that's really interesting. I actually had not thought about that. The, ma- <laughs> the magpies are, and that, I think that tracks, but um, it probably wasn't intentional. The, the magpie thing, I have not, you know, in a couple of interviews, people have asked me where the magpies came from. And I cannot remember for the life of me, like what inspired me to go with magpies. It's, it's just sort of always been magpies. And, you know, I have, I, and I don't even really have a connection to magpies. Like I don't, when I was a little kid, we lived in Idaho where there were some magpies. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't, I've never been around magpies. So I don't know. I don't know exactly why the magpies came out. Just, I thought that they were cool in the way they collected objects. Um, but also I have since found out that that's not actually true, that they don't collect shiny things huh. any more than any other bird might collect shiny things. But, <laughs> but nevertheless, it made a good story. And um, for the function of the story. They yeah. Collect yeah. And I, you know, and I love, um, I love uh, anthropomorphizing animals and sort yeah. of, I love, um, I, yeah, I have a real, love of reading um native american folk tales and sort of religious stories and there are so many just amazing stories about um animals you know turning into people and doing things and then turning back into animals and um that sort of stuff has always really uh appealed to me so i like i like having those magpies and i like um yeah and i I also love like trying to get animals to act in my books whenever I have mm. an animal that I can sort of try to get them to emote that's always really really fun for me and birds are especially hard well, I guess you know maybe my connection to birds is we have chickens now, and mm. I'm absolutely in love with them, so I spend a lot of time with birds in that respect but i think I think any magpie would be upset if I compared to them to a chicken. i've read uh, elsewhere that the idea of this story like started 10 years ago and clearly has been evolving and is is still evolving from like that inception point of the idea like what was going on 10 years ago that inspired this particular story well i remember the very initial thing that got me going on this was um an ad i saw for amnesty international And it was, um, and you can, I think if you Google this, you can find it pretty easy, but it was the photo of, um, uh, I'm spacing on the dude's name, Captain Picard. Oh, uh, Jean-Luc. I I said (laughs) Jean-Luc. Patrick Stewart. (laughs) So it was a photo of Patrick Stewart and he's like wearing a leather jacket and he's holding a sign that says like, um, stop violence against women, but he's holding like a little shopping bag in his other hand. And looking very stern at the camera. And um, it was one of those, I don't know why, where I saw that image, but it like just struck me. And it was like, what is this? And so a huge amount of the story initially, I think, was inspired by me trying to solve the, like, be like, well, okay, what if this was like, what would explain a guy like this? And an old man going shopping. And in fact, that's, you know, the first uh scene in the book is Howard going to the bodega and doing a little bit of grocery shopping. And that's like straight up from just seeing that ad. And um, I sent out a, one of the pages in one in my newsletter just the other day um, 
because I started actually drawing this book back then and I've since redrawn the whole thing, but, um, you know, I only drew like three or four pages and it was because we had just moved to Oregon and I had like a week off, uh, before I needed to start on other projects. And I was like, well, I'll just start on this thing for no, you know, just to keep my hands moving. And, um, it was something that I was kind of excited about at the time. So that's what really got me started on it 10, 10 years ago was seeing that photo and then having some free time and being like, and knowing of course that I wanted to write and draw my own book eventually. So I was like, I might as well get started on it. Um, but it just, yeah, it just took forever to get to a point where I could do it. I, could I love it. that scene with Howard in the bodega, you know, where this, this, <laughs> the clerk is trying to like make kind of a shallow human connection about like, uh, you know, like a woman slipped in her bathtub, you know, the preciousness <laughs> of life. And ha and Howard just dismisses it out of hand. Like, you know what? That sounds great. I wish that was me. <laughs> and then the clerk to his, to uh, Howard's cry of desperation and loneliness is like, ha 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 ha. Good one, buddy. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that might be one of the loneliest. <laughs> so honest. Loneliest <laughs> scenes in the book, because it's essentially one go guy going like, like, look at how thoughtful I am. And uh, the other guy going like, look how detached and, and uh, sad I am. And then they both just part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess that's my only worry with the book is maybe I'm a little bit heavy handed with some of this stuff. No, I, I love it. I, you know, no. I feel like maybe like, you know, Alan Moore was like not known for his subtlety either. So maybe I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I think yeah. subtlety is overrated. <laughs> Uh, yeah, at least that's a that's a catchphrase of Lisa's. Subtlety is overrated. Well, uh, we were yeah. You go. You go. Just, one of the one of the things that one of my favorite sort of um, ways of doing a like structuring a story ever is the, well, and this is actually the the title of the Lonesome Hunters is actually swiped from my favorite novel, which is the Heart is a Lone is a Lonely Hunter, mm. and that book is like. That's one of those books that I read like every other year, probably. And it's just like, it's one of those books that's about one thing. And, you know, and it's about, it's actually about loneliness. And it's, at least it, in my, the way I have interpreted the book, it's like, it's this book about loneliness and it has about eight main characters. And each one of them is lonely in their own very unique way. And it's just an exploration of that. And, and I love that in a story. Like, I love when it's like, because you know, I think a lot of a lot of times people confuse depth with um, uh, complexity, mm -hmm. and I love like if you have something simple and just go all the way. You know, if you just take one one idea and explore it from every kind of angle you can, as opposed to you know having a story that explores fifty different ideas. Like I always think that that um, resonates a lot more with me. So like. So I feel like sometimes, like like I said, I'm worried it's a little heavy-handed, but um, I feel like every scene is sort of like designed to come back to, you know, very a very small set of ideas that I'm I'm trying to explore. I feel like lonesomeness is like such a like a uh, it's a hard emotion to talk about because sometimes when you have it, you don't recognize it. You know, yeah. like, I, like, I feel like over the pandemic, I start like, cause I'm extremely introverted. So I feel like over the pandemic, um, I felt lonesomeness, loneliness, perhaps for the first time. 
And like, and I was just like, why am I just so crabby? I'm crabby and I'm uncomfortable <laughs> in my skin. And you know, everything my beloved Brad says is annoying to me. Like what is wrong with me? And then I talked to my friend Lindsay on the phone and I was like, Oh, and like that filled my cup. And I was like, Oh, I was like lonesome. Like it's, it's hard to recognize. <laughs> And don't you think that lonesomeness is like at the center of so much agony right now? Oh, for sure. And, you know, I think, you know, American culture in particular seems so designed for lonesomeness. And that's why everyone goes on Twitter and like is like desperately trying to find some sort of connection, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. And it's that it's yeah, there's just so much that is designed to not uh, to keep us sort of like from actually speaking to one another. And it's it's freaky sometimes. In the first issue, there's the scene with the teenagers on the stoop who their their sense of feeling of belonging with each other is to alienate other people as they're walking down the street. <laughs> and I feel like th- sometimes that, that's America. That's what Twitter feels like. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's probably a good read. Like, yeah. And even those guys, um, you know, they insult each other in in the process, too. Like, they're not like their 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 um group dynamic is very fragile at the same time lisa and i were talking uh before you came on about one of the the, like the brilliant touches that you bring to a very long life like a supernaturally propelled long life with howard is that he he is old but he's also still aging he still has tummy aches he still needs uncomfortable you know he's eating saltines like the pleasures Mm -hmm. of life are now behind him yeah well you know one of the things um i was having a conversation with someone about this just the other day like i i feel like the moment you become an adult is however old you are it's the moment when you actually realize that this is exactly what adults feel like you know it's like that you're in your not when you're like filled with some like insightful knowledge about the world or like true understanding of the nature of being it's sort of like like oh it's just gonna always be like i don't know what the fuck i'm doing like like that's when you become an adult is when you sort of realize that you will never know what you're doing and that's like and that's so much of what howard is about is like not knowing what he's doing and in fact i think part of why he and lupe make such a connection is that like in in a lot of ways, Howard is completely frozen in his teenage self. Hmm. That was, um, you know, that moment of trauma when he was a teenager basically locked part of him down, you know, and has not been able to grow beyond it. And so when he meets Lupe, who's a teenager experiencing trauma, her own self, like they see that in each other, and um, and that's the I mean, and it's very easy for a grown man who is has not matured beyond a certain point to be super creepy and i'm trying so hard to make (laughs) howard actually not seem like a total creepo you have a moment later on in the comic which i will not spoil but it is a a moment of connectivity between them in a car ride and i was so surprised and delighted by it because it's not my experience talking with my elders about the things I like uh, and, and the, the fact that Howard still has that joyful, youthful curiosity for what is happening today, 
and he's not just trapped in you know the childhood uh history that he experienced yeah i think um that's i'm i'm very excited for people to actually read that scene like that scene for me is um what it was like starting um in comics because Mm -hmm. like my first comic came out when i was 35 and so the people that i was hanging out with were almost who like were having you know the people i was coming up with at the time who had their same first comic coming out about that same time and we were meeting and hanging out you know they were all like 10 years younger than me and so i missed a lot like there's a large cultural divide between like what my media interests are and what people 10 years younger than me are and um so every time we would you know sit down and be having dinner or something they would be telling me about like some obscure anime that i'd never heard of and i'm just like what is this story (laughs) what are you talking about and so yeah anyway i'm excited for people to see that well i mean that is you know we're we're gearing up to go to san diego comic-con having not gone to one in three years um and my experience going to that convention and really embracing the the strangers around you and exploring what they're excited about like one of the most famous panels that lisa and i have attended uh in our own geek history is this steven universe panel we do nothing about steven universe Mm -hmm. but witnessing these folks just be overcome with emotion based on what they were seeing about the upcoming steven universe movie really piqued our curiosity and we went and we watched some steven universe afterwards and we we're like no doesn't connect with us doesn't connect <laughs> with us but we loved that it connected with them and i think that idea of like getting excited about what other people excited about like being geeks for passion is very much a part of being a comic book reader mm-hmm. but you sometimes forget that when you isolate yourself in your own shop like your shop has an aesthetic and you only stick to that aesthetic yeah yeah no it's um i've, I've been um, volunteering down at my local library and um spending a lot of time with teenagers down there and uh the the stuff that they are into is wild to me it is complete like like they're very into um uh, what's it called is it called real play it's like <laughs> like people will play like the role play us. games like they'll, they'll do a podcast where they you know record their them playing D or whatever hmm. um and then there's also like uh the scene i don't i don't even know if i fully understand it it is something where people will put on little shows but it's all um recorded in minecraft yes so they have like these intricate dramas that they've and just huge productions that they put together and it's all happens inside of minecraft and but it's like it is so fun to like hang out with these kids and have them show me their fan art of these things where i'm like what even is this that you have drawn me what what are you showing me but um yeah, no, like that, but that enthusiasm is really great. And that's so much of like, um, just to speak about comic conventions, like one of the things that is so remarkable in like geek spaces is how you can like, like I said earlier, like you'll be, I'll be at the comic book convention bar and turn around to somebody and be like, hey, how's it going? And like, you know that everyone there you have something in common with and it's yeah. like you, you love um, this particular mode of storytelling. And like that is so uh so awesome. 
Yeah, it's a truly special uh, experience that uh, I have missed for a very long time. And it's nice to be falling back into these shows as uh, as we adjust to the way of things. I was going to yeah, say as things yeah. get better, but I like, <laughs> as we <laughs> as get we used acclimate. to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm nervous, man. I'm still not not quite ready to do any conventions yet. I'm yeah, doing some, well, I'm doing some shop signings, but um, those are always like a lot fewer people i went out and i covered star wars celebration a couple weeks ago uh in california and i was super nervous going into it did you fly uh, all the way out to california yeah i flew out to california um and i came back and uh no issues for brad at least although all the all the press guys i was sitting with all got covid so oh man uh, i got Like the last convention I did was um, February 2020. Yeah. And um, I got home and it was like one of those things. It's like we we went there and then was like checking the news on my phone. And they're like, you know, like a week later, stuff went into lockdown. So like we when I got home, like people that I had been tabling with actually had COVID by the time they got home. Yeah. uh, yeah. We, We were at Sundance. We were at oh, Sundance, wow. in, in and as we were, we were at the first super spreader event. And as I, as we were like, we hadn't checked the news in days because you know we were at a, a film festival. And mm-hmm. as we're driving to the airport, I go like, Brad, there is a pandemic in Wuhan, and they're saying that we shouldn't be going to airports. And he's like, Well, do you want to live in Utah? And I was like, I do not. <laughs> but I just rem- and you know, I just remember like you know, just being in the airport and looking around. Like every screen was talking about it. Yeah, yeah, it was just absolutely wild. And it like, and we were just about to do a whole list of things that we were, I don't know, like we didn't even know, like we didn't even know about masking yet. We were just yeah, like, okay, yeah. it was weird. Keep your breath shallow. <laughs> <laughs> For the next uh, two years. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So I like know. I said, I flew out there. I survived. He's, uh, We're going to do it again. We've both had, uh, we've both been playing with fire and neither of us have gotten COVID yet. We're, we're very lucky. Knocking yeah. on wood. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm still, still worried about it. I don't know. We'll see. I hopefully I'm hoping next year I, I'll feel okay doing that again. Cause I, I miss it, man. I miss like, everything yeah sure sure but uh i think it's a choice that every individual needs to make and get comfortable with so yeah yeah. you know at your own schedule a okay Mm -hmm. uh tyler um before we wrap up i forgot we were recording a podcast podcast, (laughs) before we wrap up i just wanted to like revisit talking again about the itches you were scratching with the lonesome hunters and Mm you know, talking about uh, the, the, the creative itches that you're wanting to do. And is that in reference to like, you are putting out your book, this is you, or was there anything else to that idea as well? Well, I think it's like, I've been in the industry long enough and, and it's such a hard thing to talk. This is, it's the, <laughs> the thing that was on my mind a lot when I decided it was time to go was that um, the writers get a much better um, deal than artists in the industry. And, which is insane. Which yes. is, yeah, it's wild. And it like, it's not, I want to be very careful that everyone understand that the writers that I've worked with to a person have been amazing and are, have been so supportive and so great. 
but it's not up to them. There's an industry thing. Like, for example, like on my books are listed in on Amazon, but um, because I'm the writer, you can't you can't search for me as easily. Like when you want to see like, oh, I want to pick up a bunch of Tyler's books that he's drawn. It's like you have to like know that I that Colin Bunn wrote it or that you know Jeff Lemire wrote it and look for it that way, and um, it's like everything is sort of set up uh, assuming that comic books are the same as like a novel, and uh, and it's not. And so like I I really was sort of feeling that ceiling of like well I like I'm not going to be able to go much further in my career if I'm just going to be drawing for you know, w- working with writers. If I, if I start writing my own stuff, then I will have a little bit more uh, control over where I go and the industry infrastructure will be there to support me as I try to go there, you know? Hmm. So, and that was a huge part of, part of it. I wonder if that conversation is opening up again, because I feel like I've read a few articles lately about how the comic industry became a writer's medium. I can't remember. It was like inverse or somebody put that article out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I feel like the audience is at least being fed a few more think pieces about how comics are a visual medium. And we cannot forget that. Like, like <laughs> yeah. the writer yeah. is the artist, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that people don't, a lot of people don't understand how much writing is done by an artist. Yeah. Um, every time, you know, there's a great book um, by tomorrow's. Oh no, but I can't remember what it's called. I love that publisher. Yeah. Yeah. No, they do um, some amazing books, but they basically there's, there's a book that they did where they had somebody would write a three page story and then they would have three artists draw it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when you when you look at a book like when you look at a story like that that's presented three times from three different artists, you can really see like, oh, I see how much the artist brings to this because they were you know they're completely different stories. They're not even like you can't even you couldn't even say like who wrote it based on you know looking at the three different art styles and the way they've arranged shots and the way they stage things and the way they. Um, work on the acting and stuff is all so unique to the artist that um Mm -hmm. that it's you know it's a 50 50 writing proposition at that point yeah i i love to give people and i can't remember what the gi joe issue number is but there's a gi joe issue uh from marvel comics where michael golden illustrated larry hama's script after Todd McFarlane, a very young Todd McFarlane messed it up. And Larry Hama didn't (laughs) like Todd McFarlane's version. So they published, they redid it with Michael Golden. They published the Michael Golden one. And then when McFarlane blew up with Spawn and the Spider-Man comics and all that stuff, they then published the original take as like a special edition. And so you could look at what Michael Golden's version of that script looks like versus Todd McFarlane's. And they are night and day. I'm going to look that up. I did not know that that... I I will, after this conversation, I will look up the number of what that issue is and I'll include it in the show notes of this episode and I'll also email <laughs> it to you. Yeah, that's, that's gotta be amazing. Cause like, I, I can't even imagine those two telling yeah. anything remotely similar as far as how they put that story together, even not knowing what the story is. And it's, a, it is a very young Todd McFarlane. So it's not mm-hmm. even like Todd McFarlane at like the heights of his powers by any means. But you can still see McFarlane in there. And again, it's like a, a good storytelling uh, lesson. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Tyler, this has been incredible. Thank you for hanging out uh, as long as you have with us. Uh, it's a true pleasure. We love the Lonesome Hunters. We're dying for that fourth issue, and we will be craving more. So we need everyone to be buying Lonesome Hunter issues on the rack. And when the trade paperback comes out, pick up the trade paperback, because I need this series in its many, many series iterations. Thank you so much. I need it too. Please, <laughs> please everyone buy my book. <laughs> Tyler, in case uh, people don't look at those show notes uh, and they want to continue this conversation with you, where can they find you online? Um, I am on Twitter. I am uh, Mr. Tyler Crook, uh, M-R-T-Y-L-E-R-C-R-O-O-K. And on Instagram, I'm uh, also Mr. Tyler Crook, but you have to spell out Mr. <laughs> yeah, and that's the, that's the two main ways to get a hold of me. And you know, if you want to ever send me a note, you can go to uh, mrcrook.com. And my buddy Eric would uh, be upset with me if I didn't uh, say thank you from him to you. Uh, he runs Four Color Fantasies. Oh. And you did a charity auction. Or you helped mm -hmm. in their Winchester Literacy charity auction uh, sometime back in the during the lockdown days. Yeah, those guys are incredible. amazing with that. They It's such a great program that they do. And I yeah. think everyone uh, listening should pay attention to that because uh, you could buy some very good artwork at a very reasonable price to help a very good cause. Yeah, it's been crazy. Like <laughs> the original art that we've been able to get, not your piece, mind you. Yeah, uh, we, we were outbid. <laughs> we were outbid on the Tyler Crook piece, uh, but we did get a really nice Jeff Lemire. Ooh, nice. Yeah. yeah. All right, Tyler, we're going to let you go now for real this time. All right. It was so nice to meet you guys. And, uh, you know, I told you beforehand, but I'm going to say it again. I love your show. I think that you guys uh, do such a good job of analyzing comics in such an empathetic way. It means uh, it's always fun to listen to. It means a lot. Oh, Tyler, that means the world to us. Thank you. Uh, incredible. Well, that's going to do it. Now I'm now saying goodbye. This is goodbye, goodbye. Uh, what if he has more compliments? I want the re recording running. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> No more compliments. Okay, that sounds right. From now on, Lisa, I want every Creator Corner to end with the person we're interviewing telling us we're awesome. <laughs> I think that's how every conversation just in life should begin. I agree. And, and I think you're great. You think I'm great. Let's have a conversation. We're still good. Okay, then you part. Everybody feels super chuffed. Uh, but I hope everyone listening really enjoyed that conversation. And I hope everyone is already planning their next trip to the comic book store to pick up the Lonesome Hunters number one, because we need these four issues to sell well, because Lisa needs at least, what, 50 issues, 60 issues? To read the first three issues, forgetting conveniently that there is one more issue, like, um, it, it feels impossible right, like for right. me to be, not that I won't be satisfied and it won't be a beautiful story, but there's no way I'm not going to want any more. I am desperate to read the fourth issue, but I also know that when I conclude that fourth issue, it will absolutely leave me wanting more. And that's a good thing, but I now need that more. Right, right. I also think it's kind of hilarious that we started this episode, you and I, discussing our excitement around heading to the San Diego Comic-Con. And when we bring it up with Tyler, Tyler's like, oh, pump your brakes, I'm not ready. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, I do wonder if, you know, for, for those of you who have experienced this pandemic, who have 
already been working from home right. and you had the option of working entirely from home, that it's almost a little harder to reacclimate to our new normal, which is not great. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like we are a little bit more comfortable with traveling. We are more comfortable with going to the comic book store and things like that because my work requires me to be out of the home whether I liked it or not. Right. And um, you had to pull that Band-Aid off uh, really quick. Yeah. Yeah, I think about my mom, right? You know, she is still really locked down at home and I feel like my mom was really waiting for something like the pandemic to isolate her. She loves her isolation. And now the idea of getting mom out of isolation, uh, I'm just going to throw my hands up to that. Yeah. Well, I I think with some margaritas and some kind of outdoor (laughs) patio situation, I think that I think we'll get her out again. We're working on it. But the, the point is, and what we talked with Tyler about is like, you have to come to that feeling on your own. So if you are not feeling like let's get in a mass of 300,000 people at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, we can't blame you. But at the same time, it might very well be a mistake. <laughs> right. You know, we, we do not know the right thing to do. Yeah. This is our, uh, you've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. This is our first global pandemic. We're doing the best that we can. Yep. yep. Happy Comic-Con. Happy Comic-Con. <laughs> uh, still excited about it. And uh, super excited for the Lonesome Hunters. Number one, on the stands, go grab a copy. Put it in your subscription box. Make sure that you have issues two, three, and four on order already. Let's show Dark Horse Comics that we are super stoked for this book. I keep getting... I have... The floppy in front of me. I read it on PDF. Yeah. Um, which was fine, but like the physical copy is just so much more beautiful. It's the way it's meant to be read. And I'm just looking at this cover and I just keep getting lost in Howard's old man hands. <laughs> yes. Like look at his like yes. his like lumpy, bumpy gnarly hands. Oh, it's so, so good. good. So good. Like you said, Lisa, I do feel like Tyler Crook has kicked it up a notch or two with the Lonesome Hunters. He is one of our favorite artists. Mm -hmm. You know, Harrow County is another book that you should all be reading. You should go check out his old BPRD comics. You should check out Bad Blood. But the Lonesome Hunters, like this feels, you know, like a magnum opus in progress. I mean, as an introvert, like mm. I can see the advantages of not having to collaborate. Mm. Like that feeling <laughs> of doing things like I can do this the way I want. I mean, he has editors and publishers sure, and sure, stuff. Sure. But like I don't have to ask for, for permission. I don't have to negotiate for space. I can do this the way I see it on my first try. And mm-hmm. I just, I love that for him. And also, as he mentioned, this idea, like, if I want to, like, make my mark in this world, my name needs to come up on Amazon, right? Yeah. Like, like that was some realness. That's some realness right there. And we should also state, like, we, like, towards the end of that conversation, we were referencing some comic books and some books. I have that information before me now. Let me get it real quick. Oh, we almost forgot. So the book that Tyler Crook was talking about is called Working Methods by John Lowe. It's out of print, but you can still get a PDF. And Tyler sent me a link. I'll include the link to that in the show notes. And the G.I. Joe comic I was discussing was G.I. Joe number 60, but I was wrong about the replacement artist. It wasn't Michael Golden replacing Todd McFarlane. It was Danny Bulanati 
doing finishes on Marshall Rogers' breakdowns. And the Todd McFarlane art was republished in what they called G.I. Joe Special Number 1 back in like 1995. And Comic Book Resources did an article on those two issues, and I'll include a link in the show notes so you can take a look at that. You got something wrong? Oh my God! Yes, Lisa, it <laughs> is possible. It's never happened before. Everyone should just do like me, avoid all proper nouns, <laughs> make no references to everything, just float down, just that even that even uh, tide uh -huh. of just never uh -huh. committing to anything. I'm just glad we corrected it on the outro before people were tweeting at us about it. I don't know. I mean, those tweeters, they can be quick. They can, they can be. They can be. Uh, but that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you, Tyler Crook. This was the best. This he was so was... fun. I can't wait to have him back. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and while we're talking links, I'll also include a link to Chango's Tea Public Shops. You you can have Chango's thing on your chest. Yeah, yeah, yes. We should all be so lucky. Yeah, that is that is true. And on our next episode, we'll be continuing our session with Angela and Sarah discussing the comic book series 1602, Witchfinder Angela. It's our second episode in that session series. The last episode, link in the show notes, was to Angela Asgard's assassin, Really had a great time with that conversation. Very excited about this series that we're doing. And yes, we're building up to going to San Diego Comic-Con. We're going to have many more guests on the show this week around that convention circuit. You wouldn't believe the publishers and artists and writers that we have been talking to. I'm very excited, but I don't want to overpromise too much. Matt Kent is definitely going to be on the show. We've because had... that conversation's already in the can. That's right. <laughs> it was also a really great conversation talking about his new imprint at Dark Horse Comics, Flux House. We get into the nitty gritty of the format wars. Oh my, Brad, look at my stolen pocket watch. <laughs> it is time for us to wrap up this episode. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. We actually have a spoiler-free sad oh. trombone review of Thor Love and Thunder coming out. We've already seen it. It's really good. Hey, that is oh, that a spoiler? No, it's, I mean, I, I like the new Thor movie. We don't know what Lisa thinks of it. But we'll be answering our Patreon followers' questions about it. And, so yeah. you are, you're going to want to get in on that if you're not already in on our sleeping with Sleeping with Sandman. <laughs> Sleeping with Sandman. Sleepwalking with Sandman episodes. <laughs> I would also like to do Sleeping with Sandman episodes. Ooh. Very kinky. For what, OnlyFans? Is that yes, what it's called? Uh, yes, OnlyFans. <laughs> if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an active service, 
why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Did I say that weird? No more compliments. Okay, that sounds right.